Episode 6 of Brad the Nomad, from A to Z, America to Givno. This is Brad the Nomad, the podcast of an American's eclectic look at the history, culture, and wonders of Europe. And now, Brad the Nomad. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Brad the Nomad. On this episode, I'll be briefly discussing the four-month process of relocating to Prague and getting started in my new vocation as an English teacher abroad. Next week, I will be putting the finishing touches on registering my Zivno, or my work permit, four months the day I left America for the Czech Republic. A lot of people have asked me the same questions, like, what's the process of learning how to teach English to foreigners? How can you teach it without knowing Czech? Well, in this podcast, I'll summarize the process I took from wheels down to stakes down. It's been quite an experience, an experience that went a lot smoother than you'd expect, and to be honest, it was an experience that almost never happened from moment one. So join me as I tell you how I went from A to Z. I flew out of Boston's Logan Airport on a red-eye flight the evening of August 1st, 2014. That's the America part. The flight to London was uneventful, even if I couldn't get any sleep. I felt pretty numb and groggy by the time I reached Heathrow, and it only got worse by the time I touched down in Prague. This is where things almost fell apart, actually. I was warned coming in by my certification school that I should be prepared for two things at customs— telling the officer that I was not coming for business and that I had booked a flight to leave the Eurozone. Well, apparently this was the one man at Czech Airport Customs who took pride in his work. He proceeded to ask me not just those two questions, but how much money I was going to spend. Could I prove that I had that much? Where was I staying? He wanted an address and a payment slip. And not only did he want to know if I was flying out, he wanted to see the ticket already. Between the jet lag and getting hammered with questions that I wasn't prepared for, I played the dumb American, going, Oh, I needed this for you, and oh, you you wanted that? I'm afraid it's in my luggage, and uh, I don't know if it worked or if he just didn't have anything to stick me with, but with a roll of his eyes, he let me into the country. After taking a prearranged taxi to the hotel I was to use as housing, I spent the rest of the day seeing the neighborhood of my roommate before falling asleep. The next day was an orientation, getting to know both my classmates and my new city. My third day, August 3rd, I was thrown headlong into certification. My school was teaching a four-week intensive course. Yes, I was to learn how to teach an entire language in a month. Sounds impossible, right? Well, it is. As one of my instructors admitted, most of the experience is coming through learning on the job. The point of certification, as he put it, was to be a linguistic Hippocrates, to ensure that I would do no harm. So, what did the class entail? There were several aspects. There were three survival check lessons designed both to help the teachers see life from the students' perspective and to help us get around Prague. I admit that four months later, this is still the bulk of my check. There were interactive lectures on teaching styles, classroom hints, and how to deal with problems, but it was mostly grammar. Lots and lots of grammar. We also had a one-on-one project where I took a volunteer student and did a personal lesson with them. But the biggest process of all was the most daunting one, 
six lessons with actual Czech students, all but one of which would be observed and assessed by school instructors. Did I mention I get really nervous when I know I'm being graded in real life? So you may be wondering, when did I teach my first class? The second week? The third week? Nope. My third day. Yes, I was quite literally thrown into it. But I was lucky. My first class was of extremely engaged and fluent advanced students. I had no problems at all. This begs the question I get asked the most. How do you teach English when you don't know Czech? Well, you're not supposed to speak Czech, period. It's called the immersion method. Everything I say and do, assisted with demonstration, acting it out, gestures, pictures, whatever else I need to do to get the point across, is done so that the students are getting exposed to English, or the target language, as deeply as possible. How do you teach then? Well, I found it no different than planning a paper in college or outlining a tour for my jobs in New York. You start with establishing what you want to do, then gradually build up a thorough lesson plan. Let's say you want the students to be able to describe their home. You would start the lesson by doing it yourself. Then you would teach them words. For example, room, wall, bathroom, stairs, bed. Then you have them fill in blanks and sentences like, My blank is in the bedroom. Oh, bed. You might have them put uh, slips of paper together to form whole sentences. Then you would have them role play with each other in pairs, following a script. Tell me about your house. Oh, it's quite nice. Why is it nice? It's big and bright. Something like that. Finally, they describe their homes to each other. My job was to do a lesson like this and have it judged successful at least three times under observation. And if I could do that, the hardest part of certification was over. As the first week went by, I found myself gradually gaining confidence. This is not to say I went into the program expecting failure. No, of course not. It's more that I just didn't know what to expect and if I was up to the challenge. Although a lot of people have urged me for years to be a teacher, I've never felt comfortable with the prospect. I was haunted by my own experiences as a student in the grade school systems in Maine and my experiences as a tour guide and public school tutor in New York. My mom's own horror stories, her being a teacher, didn't help either. I basically felt that I would just see a sea of bored, annoyed faces that didn't want to learn anything. But it never happened. Time and again... I got groups that were interested, engaged, and wanted to learn, regardless of age or competency level. It was a huge morale boost, and more importantly, it was a confidence builder. The second week was where I hit my first roadblock. It was a pre-intermediate or lower-level class, and no matter what I tried, it felt like I just wasn't getting anywhere with them. I honestly expected this to be my first failed lesson. I wasn't too worried. I had four more chances, and I already had one success under my belt. But to my surprise, the observer told me he considered the lesson successful. This began what, as he put it on my graduation day, one of the most surreal moments he's had working at the school, listening to a student argue why he should have been judged not successful. Of course, I didn't really argue that, but I honestly felt that the lesson wasn't very good. He explained to me that it didn't matter if the students weren't getting it in the first lesson. What mattered was that I clearly demonstrated the process. To put it another way, it isn't so much the horse drinks, but if I led it to the water and did everything possible to explain to the horse that it could drink the water. So I just shut up and took my successful. To be a little boastful, 
all six of my lessons were successful, so I essentially breezed through the main part of certification. The most difficult part of the course was the grammar. You may be thinking, well, gee, Brad, you speak English as your native language. How hard can it possibly be? Well, think about this for a moment. When was the last time you thought about subjects and verbs? If you're speaking in the present or past tense. If you just use simple past or present perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's automatic for us as native speakers. It's a whole different thing if you're trying to explain it to a non-speaker. Grammar topics were the bulk of our lessons, and we also had to pass two mock lessons and a grammar test. I'll be honest, I needed a 60 to pass the grammar test, and I got a 60. So, yeah, I've been taking moments here and there to practice my own language's grammar. If you're a little bemused at the idea of an English teacher passing a grammar test by the skin of his teeth, I will repeat what the instructor, the same one I argued with over my successful lesson, told me. Close only counts with horseshoes and nuclear weapons. By far, the most illuminating and personal experience during my certification was my one-on-one project. I was assigned a woman who asked that I call her Wendy. She was a married mother of three, doing the same job my mom did back in the States, working with special needs kids in the Czech equivalent of primary school. My first class with Wendy was a needs analysis class, where I learned what she needed to work with, why she was wanting to learn English, stuff like that. It was an interesting experience. Wendy was pre-intermediate, and while I could tell she was an eager and bright student, I could also tell we had a lot of work ahead of us. But we struck up a rapport and met again for an actual lesson. Again, it was a struggle for both of us. But at the end of our official time together, Wendy requested that we continue and that she wanted to pay for it. As I record this, on the cusp of December 2014, we meet at a KFC on Wenceslas Square for an hour and a half, twice a week. It's a pretty free-form lesson, but I've seen Wendy grow from struggling to put a sentence together to having fluid conversations about current events in both our countries. I've also seen her go from writing barely a broken paragraph to writing multiple-page essays. But most importantly, I've seen her confidence grow. It's been a very humbling and fulfilling experience for me. I consider her a friend at this point, and I'm all but certain she thinks the same of me. If I may be so bold, it was apparent by the beginning of the third week that the question wasn't if I'd be certified, but how highly. My attention gradually turned, reluctantly, nervously, to the part I was dreading. Finding a job and a place to live. Once again, visions of the recent past haunted me. Brutal slumlords, overpriced slums, an endless stream of unanswered resumes, irritable HR staff obsessed with the concept of experience. I sent out a few resumes. The next morning, I had a response to all but one. This included one of Prague's best language schools. Per their request, I designed a mock lesson plan and went in for an interview. The interview was in two parts. An analysis of my plan and what we usually think of in the U.S. when we hear the word interview. The analysis was less a grilling and more of a friendly chat of, hey, this is a great idea, or, well, I'd do it this way instead. When the second interviewer told me that the hardest part was over, I actually grinned and said, then this will be a breeze. I actually found out I was hired before I reached home. The problem was, home was still the hotel being utilized by the ESL school. 
I was looking through the expat equivalent of Craigslist for apartments when I stumbled on a large room in Vinorari for a fraction of the price I was paying for my Manhattan apartment. I fell in love with a huge, airy room, its commanding view of the city, and the eight-minute commute to the center of town on first sight, and I paid the deposit that week. Considering the day before my leading contender was a tiny, musty sub-basement room where the bed was a mattress on the floor, I consider this an improvement. So my big worries. Finding a job and a place to live? Yeah, I had them both checked off before I was certified. So much for my fears. On my fourth week, I was certified. There I was, a certificate allowing me to teach anywhere on earth I wanted to go under one arm, my first stack of class notes under the other, and a place to hang my ubiquitous baseball cap. But there was one more piece of the puzzle. I had a good bit of paperwork to plow through so that I wouldn't be kicked out at the end of my three-month tourist visa. I was also in the interesting position where I was working when I shouldn't be. This is where, thankfully, a great company called Prague Expats came in. They would help me secure the two pieces of paper I needed to make everything come together, my six-month visa and my Zivno, or working permit. Best of all, for a rather affordable fee, they would do most of the work for me. I can tell you now it was worth every corona I paid, and a large load off my mind. Well, except for the part where my landlady didn't understand the concept of the notary, and we had to go through a roundabout process whose result the consulate itself called really weird, but acceptable. But it all worked out in the end. The Givnel came first and easiest, but technically I couldn't have it until I got the visa. So by the middle of September, I was on a bus to Vienna for my visa interview. The process lasted about half an hour. I was asked some weird questions too, like the size of my apartment and how much I expected to make and spend per month, but it was a lot less do not pass go than I got from the customs officer. At this point, all I could do was wait. So for the next month, I focused on my job. My work entails approximately 20 classes with usually four classes a day, ranging in length from an hour to two hours but my average class length is an hour and a half. I spend my days being back and forth across the city. It would seem daunting at first glance, but thanks to Prague's fast and efficient transit system, I have little trouble making it to my appointments on time. I found myself enjoying the life I was developing. Weekends off, a life outside of work, time to pursue hobbies old and new, all things I just didn't have in the U.S. Still, my tourist visa was running out, and I was getting nervous about a possible problem. Thankfully... My visa popped up as complete with two weeks to spare, and I returned to Vienna to get my visa in late October. I came back to Prague with just two days left on my tourist visa. And now that I had the visa, I could register with the last state offices for taxes and income, and most importantly, secure my Givno, or the Z part. And that is how I went from A to Z, or America to Givno. It was quite an adventure, and a life-changing one at that. What comes next? Well, it's more than likely I will apply for the long-stay visa of two years in spring 2015. And after that, well, I take the words of Winston Churchill to heart. It is a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link of the chain of destiny can be handled at a time. In other words, I'll make those decisions when I come to them. And that is it for our latest episode of Brad the Nomad. Join me next time, where I explore how my adopted nation celebrates Christmas. It's at once totally familiar, but slightly alien. Until then, happy travels. Happy travels.